0: A new month brings a new scoop podcast. It is episode 294 on this Friday, the 1st of May. March sucked, April sucked, May unfortunately already sucks. A really tough day here at Score North earlier today. Some really talented individuals, Matthew Collar, Ross Brendel, Seth Auger, Derek Wetmore, Rami Makhlouf, all let go this pandemic has kicked all of our asses. We have all been impacted one way or another. Sports media is absolutely in that boat. Advertisers are leaving left and right. It is a really tough time. Less and less people are consuming sports media. We all want sports to come back. There has to be some process to getting sports back. I know all the leagues are working hard, all the TV partners are. Are working hard. My main job is on the television side. One thing, one saving grace, at least for us on the TV side, is it's an election year, so there will be a lot of, and this is a battleground state, so there will be a lot of Trump dollars, Biden dollars, Hectina Smith dollars, Jason Lewis dollars. There will be a lot of money coming in from an advertising standpoint on television that radio just unfortunately never sees. So, some really talented people. We're let go. I have no other way to say it than to say today and already May is just incredibly crappy. I have no easy segue. One, I suppose, decent distraction, nice distraction has been the last dance on ESPN Sunday nights. We're four episodes in. It's the 10 part Michael Jordan documentary. Cameras followed him around his last year. With the Bulls, that 97-98 season, somebody who has intimate knowledge of the Bulls is B.J. Armstrong, my buddy B.J. He's been on the podcast a few times prior. B.J. was with the Bulls as a first-round pick, won those championships with M.J. Pippen and those guys, 91-92-93 then left Chicago, ended up playing the Bulls later on when he was a member of the Charlotte Hornets in a playoff series. He later then worked for the Bulls' front office. BJ is now a powerful agent among his clients, former Wolves guard Derek Rose. Anyway, I chatted via Zoom with BJ earlier this week about Last Dance, and we just went down memory lane, his time with the Bulls, and some stories he knew After his time with the Bulls, here is my recent conversation with former Bull B.J. Armstrong. All right, B.J., let's start with the first four episodes, and I guess specifically Sunday night. I mean, what what have you learned? Is there anything you've learned about M.J., about that time, the time you spent with the Bulls that maybe you didn't know? I guess for me, I'll tell you one thing I learned last night. Like, you literally don't age. You haven't 18 years. That's, that's one thing that I learned last night.
1: Well, you know, certainly I have to thank my parents for that. Uh, I had nothing to do with that one. And, um, but no, I mean, all of these stories, you know, either I was there and I witnessed them firsthand or, you know, I was one person removed from knowing these stories. So I can't say I've learned anything new. Um, if anything, I've probably forgotten them now, you know, when you get over 50 now, you forget everything. So uh, it's interesting to watch. It's always weird to watch yourself on television. So to see yourself and see things that you experience, and uh, now my kids watching, they're like, Dad, did that really happen? Or, or people are saying, Oh, wow, I learned something new. It was like, that was just part of my everyday experience and i didn't think twice about any of those experiences that we had at that time let alone to ever imagine that i'll be watching in some documentary or some movie form so but they're fun they're fun to revisit and, and and hear and relive some of the stories and um so you know it's seemed like people are enjoying the uh the behind the scenes stuff
0: absolutely i mean the ratings are are through the roof i mean you know so far i mean the way they've they've portrayed everything I mean, incredibly accurate. I mean, nothing blown out of proportion or embellished or anything along those lines?
1: No, I think, you know, the, the one thing that has been most interesting is here we are 30 years later, still trying to find out about those teams. And that to me is, you know, one of the interesting things about all of this is that the professionalism that those groups had. Um, things that happened behind closed doors stayed behind closed doors, right? Made your job very tough. And here we are 30 years later, and no one still has said anything. And now, well, all right, we'll talk about, you know, most of some of the things that may have been heard. Some of them may have happened, some of them may not have happened, but um, you could see the things and how close knit these groups were uh, that nothing, Got outside of the confinements of the team.
0: Take us back to, to the 1989 draft. So, you know, it's pick 11, 12, 13. You're curious, where am I going to land? Like, as the board set up, were you hopeful
1: to land with with MJ and the Bulls? Well, I was just hopeful to have an opportunity to play in the NBA. Um, I wasn't sophisticated enough as a 21 year old kid to say, this is where I would rather go and here's why. Right? I just had a dream to play in the NBA, and you could have put me on Mars, and I would have been okay. I just wanted to have an opportunity to play. So, um, But lo and behold, I get an opportunity to get drafted by the Bulls and play in Chicago and not, not only play but have an opportunity to win and win at a high level. So it was a, a unique experience, a unique opportunity, and um, I'm, I'm thrilled the way it turned out, but I, I, I wish I could sit there and tell you that I was sitting there in the green room saying that's where I want to play and here's the reason why. All
0: right. So your rookie year, if I if I recall everything, that would have been the year that, that you guys lost to Detroit in yes. the Eastern Conference Finals.
1: That that is correct. So um, that was a very pivotal moment for the entire organization, right? For all of the players who participated, for the coaching staff and all all of the the teams because you know we were Faced with an opportunity, either we were going to do it or we weren't going to do it. So, um, it made for it makes and it made for great great theater. Yeah, you could see how it played out. Certainly, there was no love lost between the teams, even to this day. <laughs> and uh, but it was very competitive. And uh, I, I say this about the Pistons: they were a very well respected group. They were a group that we respected and. Um, I mean, you know what but eventually we were able to overcome them and 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 finally get over that hump and win our first championship the following year.
0: Yeah, I mean, was that like I heard Mike Wilbon last night on SportsCenter Center, others have suggested this that that actually beating the Pistons after going through what what the organization had gone through the previous couple of years trying to overcome that hurdle that that almost was was a bigger deal than actually winning the championship. Do you
1: do you agree with that? Um well, you know, you you don't want to get to the To the end of the game, and then suddenly lose. Right? It diminishes what you what you've done. Um, It was a huge accomplishment for us because you know it took years to do that. Right? It took a lot of heartaches. It was a lot of pain that went into winning that series. And against a, you know, they were a great, great team. Let's make no doubt about that. You know, let's put our feelings aside. I'm going to act my age now and say, "Listen, that was then. This is now." Um, they were a terrific group. Now, I, I don't think, I I, I I do I do know that we knew that there was no other team that was as mentally tough as the Detroit Pistons. And that's not to take away anything from the Lakers or and the rest of the league, but certainly, you know, you don't accomplish what they are. They were back-to-back champions. And, um, and to be, they, they, they deserved the respect, right? We didn't fear them, but we respected them. So, we knew that um, mentally there wasn't another team like them at that time in the NBA. How were
0: you guys able to not only beat them, but demolish them? I mean, it was a oh. snap of the fingers. And, I mean, did it mean more for you considering you're a Detroit
1: native? Well, I grew up in the city of Detroit, so I remember when they drafted Isaiah Thomas and Joe Dumars and Dennis Rodman and all those players, and then to have the opportunity to play against them, you know, it was uh, it was a little different, right? All my family grew up Detroit Pistons fans, so they were like, "BJ, we hope you do well, but you know, uh, we want the Pistons to win, right?" <laughs> all my all my family were bad boys. My mom, including my mom. It, it was just that was the way the league was back then. It was you know I, I didn't think twice about it. Watching the games now, I'm like, ooh, you know, you like, oh, wow, the game was real physical. But back then, that's just the way the game was played. That's what we expected. That's how we all played and. And uh, it didn't make it any more special because I had a job to do. And uh, the only thing that was of concern is because I knew them. So I had to draw the line between my friendship and the business that needed to be done. And uh, But, you know, once you're in the NBA, you understand that. You play and you do your thing. You do what you have to do.
0: You guys lose game one of, of the 91 finals. Take me back to that time, maybe that next day then the following day, you know, heading into game two. I mean, was it true that a lot of people right after the Lakers, the the legendary Lakers win game one, that a lot of people were writing you guys
1: off? Well, certainly you got to remember, you know, Magic and Larry Bird were the face of the NBA back then, right? This was before Michael was Michael. Uh, Michael was scoring a lot of points. He had a lot of individual awards, but, Make no doubt about it. Larry Bird and Magic Johnson had all the championships. And with Isaiah Thomas having a couple of them in there. So um, that's the way the league was. We felt real confident after game one. Reason being was because we didn't play well, right? And, you know, I think some years later, we probably can all admit we were all a little nervous. That was our very first finals. It was only human that we were going to come out and and kind of feel our way through the first game of, uh, NBA finals, but we settled down very quickly Bounced back in game two. And back then, um, we, you know, we really took advantage of the two, three, two format, right? So we knew we were going to go out there and play a minimum of three games in LA. And we knew that we had an opportunity. We felt we had an opportunity to not only win one game and or two games out there, but we could actually have an opportunity to, to, To bring the series back to chicago if need be so we felt very confident about that we took it one game at a time we won the first game out there then we when the second game we're like oh wow we have an opportunity now to close it out and uh, we were very lucky to do that and won three consecutive games out there in our first nba finals take us back to
0: to the night of after winning game five and you know the post game aftermath the post game celebration i mean Was that a side of of MJ that that you hadn't seen, that that
1: emotional side? Well, you you never know how you're going to respond. And um, the last thing was imagining that that was going to be us in the locker room winning a championship, right? Those are the things you dream about. You're always watching someone else do something great, right? You never – actually, you're going to do it. Um, I think, if anything, for me, I was like, why do everyone cry when they win a championship, right? You see so many people cry. I'll never do that, right? And then suddenly when you get there, you cry, you have all these feelings because of the journey that it took to get there, right? You know, it looks fun and it looks exciting and everyone's kissing the, 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 the Larry O'Brien trophy and all of those things. But something happens when it's over and you're just overcome with these emotions. So I, I got it, we got it. And uh, certainly it was a long road for all of us. Michael had the longest role because he was there the longest. And, um, you know, it was great to see that we, you know, it's not that we accomplished that, but it's very it's, it's, it's very rare that you set something out and you actually are able to do it. And let alone you do it with a team because, you know, so many things have to go right for you. And um, so I, we, we got it and uh, it was a great, great, you know, time in our lives. We were all young. and. To be able to do it once, let alone multiple times, was a thrill of a lifetime.
0: One more question about that series: the the game two play, the the spectacular move where, where MJ you know right hand to left is hand your, and, is that
1: your Marv Albert? In per- yeah, in that person. was is that it? was that was pretty <laughs> pathetic. I, I I fully admit.
0: But like, how often, whether it was that play or, or other plays that postseason, heck, the previous couple of years,
1: how many times did MJ just literally take your breath away? Well, you know. You know, he had plays like that and we were around him enough where you just come to expect the unexpected with him. Um, You know, the thing about him is, you know, he would have these great plays, but he didn't do he only did those things when it was absolutely necessary. And he was a true fundamental fundamentally sound basketball player who played with the fundamentals of the game. Right. He was an incredible athlete and he could have done a lot of things and no one would have said anything. But if you just watch him play, and, then you know, I watched the, the, the game, and I'm always watching the game from a technical viewpoint just with my many years of playing. Fundamentally, he was just so sound, right? His footwork, you know, jab, caught the ball with two hands. He just did all of the things fundamentally that was necessary. But every now and then, he would get himself in positions where he was out of position, right? If you watch, he was, he was out of position, and somehow he was able to gather himself and I don't know, I, I've never been up there, so I can't tell you what it is, but I just thought he did something and he got himself back and everyone was like, that's impossible. And like, no one can do that. But we saw him do that time and time and time again. And he was just, a, he had an incredible amount of control of his body. Right. And, uh, you know, we would call him the cat, right. Cause there was, you know, different parts of him that he would do when it was absolutely necessary. And that was one play where, like, no one should be allowed to do something like that, let alone complete it. But, you know, that's just MJ being MJ.
0: Speaking of MJ being MJ, was there some stubbornness at all to, to embracing the triangle offense, or did that happen pretty seamlessly and naturally for, for Michael to adjust from what he was used to, accustomed to under Doug uh, Collins compared to, to what Phil was trying to accomplish?
1: Well, change is always difficult, right? Um, you know, people talk about change but then when it happens to you you're like wait a minute hold on okay um you know michael was averaging 30 something points a game and he was a very responsible player at 30 points a game right he wasn't like some gunner who was shooting a low percentage but he could score you know michael averaged 35 36 points a game and was very responsible he was shooting over 50 percent so something was going right here <laughs> you know that's a, that's a, an amazing accomplishment and you take into consideration this is with hand checking. So things were going smooth, right? I mean, he was MVP. He was Defensive Player of the Year. Check. Check. You know, MVP All-Star. Check. They're in the conference finals. Check. What's what's going on here? Like, everything is moving in the right direction. So, and then suddenly you make a change. Now, um, You know, clearly, you know, upon reflection, we look at it and say, hey, that was great. The change worked for better, for worse. I think most would agree it worked for the best and everyone benefited from the change. But um, it was some apprehension for sure. Um, All of us. And um, you know what? That We're going to play a different style. We're going to change some things. We're going to allow a young Scottie Pippen to evolve, put the ball in his hands, allow him to play a certain way let a young Horace Grant and all these other guys play and uh, let's see how this turns out. You know, I don't know how many people would welcome that with open arms because you know, most of us who were young, myself included, we were unproven. Gotti Pippen wasn't an all-star then BJ Armstrong was just coming in the league, so forth, Horace Grant, so forth and so on. So, uh, that's just human nature, but we got through that and, uh, you know, Good for us that we were able to have the trust that was necessary to get through that process. Tougher to win that first championship or to stay
0: on that mountaintop and win the next two to have three consecutive?
1: (laughs) Well, um, you know, when you're going after something, I think it's easier because there's no expectations, right? We weren't expected to beat the Detroit Pistons, we weren't expected to beat Magic Johnson. But once you get there, now. Everyone's coming for you. So I think it's much tougher to stay there than to get there because now you are the barometer of excellence for everyone else. So now when the Bulls came into town, it was the defending champion Chicago Bulls come out to root against that team. So you had to learn how to accept everyone else's best punch. And that to me is the the true test of a champion, is can I take your best and still beat you? because now it's a mind game for yourself. All right? It's easy to sneak up on people and like, "Oh, I didn't know that team was that good." Or, "Oh, oh, god, they they really played well tonight." Well, those days were over with. The Bulls are coming in town. Everyone had that game circle. All the arenas were full, and yeah, you wanted Michael to have 40 points, but you wanted the Bulls to lose. That was the goal, and we had to overcome all of those things every single night that we played
0: what stands out about the about the 92 and the 93 runs so you know we just went over beating the lakers getting that first championship those those second and third championships when i bring up those seasons what what stands out
1: well what stands out in 92 is um we were probably more determined in 92 than we were in 91 because you know it was like well okay anyone can win one but let's see how good you really are now right? And we were determined to let everyone know that we were the real deal. And Michael Jordan was, that was arguably, in my humble opinion, that was arguably his his one of, I should say, I probably shouldn't say it, but I will. That was arguably his greatest season in my, because he was just, he was ferocious, right? He went after everybody, right? He went after the ball boys, he went after everybody, and, and we loved it. We, we loved it because we all were, and with him leading the charge, we were determined to show everyone that this wasn't a fluke. And we found something to play for because even though now we were – teams were evaluating themselves against us, we were going right back at them. And we were attacking every game, every quarter every possession and we just had a great year I think we won like 67 some games that year somewhere around there we probably could have done more um but in saying that we were just we were just clicking on all cylinders right I mean that team probably could have coached themselves that's how we were just that good because we we were hungry to show everyone that it wasn't just we were a one-trick pony, right? right? Is that, Am I saying that right? way? at one-trick pony, right? Uh, and um, that, that was a great year. It was a fun year because we had all settled into who we were, who we were going to be, and we just went out there and really played great basketball that year.
0: And what about the, the third championship then? What about that year?
1: Well, the third championship um, was the first time that um, I felt you know, playing that many years consecutively in the playoffs in the postseason that, you know, we were like, you know, because we were all so young and playing wasn't a problem, right? When I mean playing, like just, okay, I go, game starts at seven, I'm ready to go. And then that was the first year where I like, oh, wow. I gotta like, <laughs> like those games were starting starting to pile up on all of us. and. You know, you play these, you know, you know, these games in a condensed amount of time, meaning in the playoffs at a higher level. So, you know, while most teams are playing 82 games, they're done at the end of the season. We were playing an additional, you know, 20 or so, 20 or more games in a condensed amount of time. So you're going from, you know, April, May, June, then July, August, and then you're back at it again. So these games were beginning to pile up on all of us where, you know, we now we had like an 80 extra games in a condensed amount of time. So that was another whole season at a higher level in a short amount of time. And there's just no way to, to make that time up. So I think, you know, physically, I know mentally we were all a little drained because we were all driven. You know, no was an unacceptable answer to, to, to walk away. And certainly, we weren't going to just give it away. We had worked so hard to get there. So it was just that third championship was like, you know, we just had to learn how to play and win a different way. That team had to, that was the first team where we had to learn how to play in spurts. We had to learn how to, instead of taking the fight, we had to learn how to absorb it, figure out how to maneuver around the game so that we can win the game. Um, If I remember correctly, that was the first time we didn't have home court advantage in the finals. I don't think we had the best record that year, if I remember correctly. So it was a, it was a different challenge, but we were still, we still knew if we got there, we had the confidence to do it, but you know, the, the games were starting to pile up on us a little bit.
0: And then soon thereafter. So you win that third championship, a lot of things change, right? Where, where MJ walks away, you end up, was it an expansion draft? I mean, a lot of things out of your control, but you end up out of Chicago and you end up playing for multiple more teams. And, you know, just it was an interesting time there in the mid-90s after that third championship, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, but so Michael retired and uh, we go on for another, I think, another year. And then I think he comes back in year two, the end of the second year. I think that's when he came back. So, uh, yeah, a lot of things change. Change is part of it, part of the situation. You know, he, he, you know, I think it's well documented. He went and played baseball, then he comes back and plays. And, but you know what? That's maybe the little break that was needed, you know, for him, and to figure out whatever he needed to figure out. And we all needed to figure out, right? We'd all been together for so long. And, uh, you know, our veterans, Cartwright, I think had retired somewhere, or he was around there, Uh, John Paxson. And um, so, you know, things change and they were able to rebuild the group and put together another group of guys around the core talent. Right. Which was Michael and Scotty and um, win in 96, 97, 98. And that's a testament. Those guys were great players and uh, the game was different. The way they played was different, but the results were the same. And um, that's the true, you know, test of excellence. They were able to figure out how to get the same results, but just doing it in a different way.
0: What was it like watching from a farming? I mean, was there a part of you during those those 96 to 98 runs where you were like, shoot, I wish I was back there in Chicago? Well, I was
1: consumed. I was still playing. I was consumed with trying to beat them, right? And uh, actually had an opportunity to compete against uh, one of those teams, and I can't remember which year, which year now, but I was with the Charlotte Hornets at the time, and uh, we played against, uh, you know, the Bulls. The Bulls eventually, you know, they were able to – to defeat us, uh, I think in like five or six games, somewhere around there. But, yeah, it was consumed like everyone else how to beat the Bulls because uh, they were the best team in the league.
0: I mean, it just it had to be, though, one of those situations, right, where you're like, man, you, like, you had to have known, right, after that first one that, that once he got that fourth one, that first one back at it, there had to be this sense of, you know, inevitability that, that Michael was going to find a way to win multiple more.
1: Well, that, that was, that's who he is, right? He's going to find a way. He's going to find a way to and figure things out, right? There was no denying him when it came to a basketball game. He was going to find a way, right? And um, that's what I knew about him then. That's what I knew about him when I competed on other teams. Um, there aren't many people that's willing to go down that path. And, and no matter what was going on during the course of the game, he was going to find a way to win that game. He was focused that way, and he had that mentality. So um, until you see it, right, people can talk about it, what you need to do and all those things, but he was willing to go there every single night. He was going to find a way, and it didn't matter if it was on the offensive end, the defensive end, passing lane, whatever, rebound, loose ball. He was going to find a way to win that game no matter what.
0: I don't want to exaggerate, but I mean, is it darn near daily that Michael's name comes up in your world? If it's just, you know, normal times, you're at the grocery store or the shopping mall and somebody recognizes you and and wants to go down memory lane or just in your, in your, you know, your professional happenings on a day-to-day basis with, with you being a a big time agent, you know, and then your time in in the Bulls front office, right. After you were done playing. I mean, just about daily or at least weekly that, that somebody brings up michael to you
1: um you know it's just kind of that's what it that's what it is you know uh, i i get it you just you see excellence from afar and it's not often that you see someone achieve this level of success this level of excellence but more importantly you know i you know I, i'm trying to think about now that i think about it i can't recall seeing someone with this level of talent have this much discipline to go to reach his potential or her potential in this case we're talking about Michael and go beyond that you know if you watch him play as good as you heard as good as you thought he was he was even better when you saw him. (laughs) okay and to see him repeat that over and over and over again right this wasn't like you know, as a as, a, as a as an ex-player, you know, you have a good week. You had a good week of playing. Or you might have a good month. You know, you're the player of the month. You might have a good first half of the season. This guy put together a career that was just one after the other. You know, if you thought he was good in 86, well, you really should have saw him in 1992. And if he was really good in 92, you really should have saw him in 96. And he just kept getting better and better and better. And he brought that every single day. And um, it was just amazing to watch how you could repeat that level of excellence time and time again. And that was just impressive because not only did he bring it in the games, he brought that same energy in practice and he would do it over and over again. And you just couldn't believe it because no one should be allowed to be that good, first of all, let alone have the energy to put forth that type of effort time and time again but somehow he was able to do that because there isn't a right answer is it fun to debate
0: like the 91 92 bulls if they played the, the 96 97 bulls or or if you guys you know 91 92 ended up playing you know steph curry kd and and those good warriors teams or, or maybe one of the tim duncan you know spurs teams is it fun to have that debate about you know whether <laughs> whether the teams you were on or maybe one specific
1: team might be the greatest team of all time well, it's fun to debate if you if, from a fan's perspective, right? It's it's really fun, right? Cuz you you get into your your fan, right? You know, God, who's who's my favorite player, right? So I get it like when these kids say if if you're a Steph Curry fan in today's game, that, that's fun to debate, right? They didn't see Michael Jordan. So how could they really, you know, my my my, my kids, we have these debates all the time, right? It's fun to debate. Um for better or for worse, I had a chance to play the game. So I see the game from a technical standpoint. viewpoint. And then when you come to understand the game, you understand, oh, wow. You know, you'll understand why Kareem Abdul-Jabbar here scored 38,000 points with just one move, <laughs> right? <laughs> or you'll understand another guy here, Will Chamberlain, who scored 100 points in the game. And I don't care what league you're playing in. If you scored that many points, and against the the best players in the world in any era those players would figure it out right and let alone if i just gave these both of these guys here that we're talking about i'm sitting in between if i just gave those guys air jordan shoes right they were playing in like converse cons at the time <laughs> they would have been probably at least 50% better than what they were right and uh so it's fun but it's not fun when you actually see the game for what it is because now you start arguing because of your understanding of the game and being there and understanding how you actually win. So that's not fun because you hear people make these arguments and you go, no, that wouldn't work because you understand the game. So um, it's not as fun to listen to it but it certainly is fun to engage in it because, you know, you see the passion of sports and that's what sports is supposed to be. It's supposed to be fun. So, you know, who wants to hear from an old guy like me who played the game is going to tell you why your opinion doesn't matter. So it's like everything else. I just, uh, I just kind of keep quiet and smile and uh, keep it, keep it moving. I'll
0: hit you with a couple more back, back to the production of, of last dance. When, when did they interview you? Was it just a one-time interview or did they come back and interview you? Uh, a second time was it done at your house, at your office? Like, how many months ago? Just take um, us through kind of the production, the behind
1: the scenes. You know, um, I really can't remember. That's the sad part, right? You know, I, I'm over fifty now, so when you're over fifty, you just can't remember. uh I, 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 think it was like two or three years ago, to be honest with you. I don't wow. remember the interviews. I, I didn't know if what was gonna be, what was the cut. I just knew that you know, Michael had called, we had talked, and he said, hey. He was putting together a documentary and, you know, what I mind part I say I said, sure, whatever, you know, whatever you want, whatever you need, no problem. And he said, I'll have, you know, a little small crew come out, right? I had no idea that it was on this scale. <laughs> and uh, here we are three years later at this, uh, you know, whatever, Jordan Doc, the last dance, Jordan documentary. Yeah, the last dance, that's what it's called. And uh, here we are. So, you know it's fun you know I'm happy for him I'm happy that he was able to tell the story I'm happy that he feels now uh this sense to share with this next generation Of you know of why he played the game and kind of give you some insight as only he should you know I think he should be the one that tells the story of like how he got to this place how he became the Michael Jordan that we've all come to love and 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 really admire from afar but he should tell the story so i think this is an opportunity for him to share that share it with the world and uh hopefully people well not hopefully people are enjoying it you know just looking at you know the uh first two episodes or the first four episodes and uh it's it's been great i mean i certainly enjoyed it and uh, listening and seeing the reactions especially of the youth the today's young people uh, they're like, you know, my kid, my oldest son is 19. He's like, Dad, was he really that good? And then he, after the, the episode, he's like, oh, wow, Dad, he really was that good. Because they never saw him play. So it, that's a fun reaction for me because, you know, you know, everyone's the greatest player until you see the greatest player. And for all of us who are a little older, we know we saw something a little different. And, uh, and that's not to disrespect anyone who's playing. He was just different he was different and I think all will acknowledge who had an opportunity to see him play what's your relationship like today with
0: Michael I mean it's interesting I mean agent owner but I mean do you guys converse pretty often
1: yeah you know I I speak uh, it's it's always funny when I have a player there in Charlotte you know because you got to talk to the owner so we always laugh about that I mean it's so funny right um you know, now the agent and the owner are talking about contracts and stuff. So that that's real funny. But, you know, we see each other and, and whether it's at All-Star or at different NBA events and, uh, you know, when he's out in L.A., I, I currently live out in L.A. now, or I'm there in Charlotte visiting a player or what have you. Or So I, I see him and we talk. and uh, But, you know, it's like life. You know, you got family, you got things <laughs> – life gets in the way. But uh, certainly, um, you know, it, it's great when we do catch up because we're always laughing about something, talking about the old days. And, uh, you know, just a couple old guys, you know, just kind of hanging out, you know, just reliving in, uh, reliving our youth and because uh, now life is going on, and now our kids are the ones that are having all the fun. Do you have an MJ
0: jersey? In, in, are you in your office right now? I mean, yeah, you've got the Kareem. You've got the Will. Yeah, uh, Where's the MJ jersey? Yeah.
1: I don't have the MJ jersey in my office, and uh, and I have actually three jerseys in my office. Three of my favorite players. Um, my secret, and I'll you know disclose it here. So I was only you know I was six one. I was a little guard, but I've always had this affinity for bigs, right? So I have Kareem, I have Wilt, and I have Bill Russell, mm-hmm. and uh, those are those are I, I've always. You know, when I learned how to play the game, um, you know, back as a kid in Detroit, they always said that you had to build a team around a big guy. And that always made an impression on me. And I just always wanted to understand why. Like, if you said it, you had to – you know, I wanted to understand what was the reason behind that. And, you know, Bill Russell won 11 championships. You know, Kareem, I think, won five or six. You know, five or six. I think he won six as well, right? Uh, five with the, the Lakers. I, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think you're right. Five with the Lakers, and then one with the uh, Milwaukee Bucks, I believe. So he won six, and then Will Chamberlain. So I, I was, I was just intrigued and by the bigs and what they were able to do to the game and why they had such an advantage over the other players. Right? They could protect the rim. They could score. They could really change the game. And one of the things, especially with these two, is they had to change the rules because they were so dominant, right? They had to change the rules like you couldn't dunk or they made the lane wider because these guys were so dominant as a player. So, you know, I I always keep that in mind when people say, who is the greatest player, right? Well, these guys were so dominant, they had to change the rules of the game for them, right? Bill Russell figured out something as a defensive player that he impacted the game, and it was so amazing that, you know, what he really created a style that we're still mimicking today, right? I mean, when you say defense win championships, well, you can't say that without putting Bill Russell in there. So um, the ex-player in me has an affinity for all of these guys and what they contributed to the game because you want to be, you want to take stewardship of the game itself. And that's why I'm always so hesitant to say who's the greatest player to ever play the game. Um, certainly they've all made their marks in some way. Um, But I was just very fortunate to see someone who I know could have played in any era. I know Michael could have played in any era. I don't care if he's playing today or playing in 1946 with George Mikan and those guys, you know, he could have figured, he would have figured it out with his mindset to have a contribution or to make a commitment to winning in some capacity just because of how he played and how he approached the game. So, um, you know, that's, that's my story behind these guys. I you can't see over there, I have a, a mini statue of Michael Jordan. So, you know what, you know, he will always, you know, always be, you know, my guy, right? Um, Cause you know, that's, you know, I played with him, I saw him, so, uh, but he's not on the wall. He's not on this wall. And uh, I just wanna work with the next big guy. Because the next seven-footer is going to be some seven-foot four or five guy who is going to be able to shoot threes and have Mm -hmm. a post game. Mm -hmm. And he's going to have a handle, right? So that's the player I'm looking to represent. He's going to have all of the skill set of a Michael Jordan, but he's going to have the height and size of, like, these three guys, right? These three centers. And then we're going to be talking about saying some 15 years from now, we're going to say, well, we're seeing a player – that we've never seen before. And then that's when I'll, then then I can retire as an agent then.
0: (laughs) BJ, this was so much fun. Thank you. Stay safe, and I'll be in touch, okay? All right,
1: take care. Thank you.
0: My buddy BJ Armstrong, I literally could have talked to him for hours. I knew he was up against it clockwise, so was I. It was fun to go down memory lane with BJ. Episodes 5 and 6 of The Last Dance, Sunday night, ESPN, 8 and 9 o'clock Central. Episode 5, 8 to 9 p.m. Central. Episode 6, 9 to 10 p.m. Central. Parts 5 and 6 of the 10-part Last Dance documentary, the camera crew that followed around MJ and the Bulls his final year in Chicago, that 97-98 season. One thing I talked to BJ about off mic, was the nba draft i mean it's coming it will be pushed back august or september not one person that i've corresponded with in the game believes that the nba draft will take place in june earlier today in fact just a few minutes ago i got an email from the nba the draft lottery and the draft combine for later this month have been postponed so i'm just telling you it's inevitable that the draft itself will not take place in june look for it to take place hopefully In August or September, will it be an actual live event or will it be virtually? That remains to be seen, but I do foresee the NBA draft taking place late summer or early fall. Again, crappy day here at Score North. It's been a crappy few months. March sucked. April sucked. May sucks. But thank you for listening to this podcast. Thank you for supporting this podcast going on four years strong. As far as the future of this podcast, I don't know. At this point, I don't know where it will live. My goal is to continue to provide content in this format. My TV job is my A job, but I love doing podcasting. I love doing radio going back to 1996 when I started at KFAN. K-F-A-N. So, trust me, radio is a strong passion of mine. So, whether it lives here or not remains to be seen, but I promise my plan is to have it live somewhere. Have an enjoyable weekend, everyone. Stay safe, stay sane.